episode of Below the Frame, I am talking to one of my very best friends in the whole wide world, Joey Mazzarino. You know Joey, he's Murray Monster, Stinky the Stinkweed, and a bunch of others. He's also a writer, a director, and an all-around hilarious person. Plus, we'll be talking all about tall shoes. So lace them up, it's time to go Below the Frame! Go, go, go Below the Welcome to Below the Frame. I am so glad you are listening to this little podcast, and particularly today, because you're going to hear from Joey Mazzarino. Now, Joey, you guys know who Joey is. He's one of my very best friends in the whole world, and I think that you're going to hear how much I love this guy in our talk today. He is one of the best people I know. He is hilarious. He's incredibly talented as a Muppet performer, a writer, a director, pretty much anything that he sets his mind to do. He, he's amazing at it. I, I could go on and on about Joey, but why don't we just take a listen to this interview that we did? Huh? Why not? Let's do it. Okay. Let's go below the frame with Joey Mazzarino. <laughs> All right, we are rolling. Okay, Matthew. So I'm going to use uh, my podcast voice instead of my normal. Do you have voice. a special podcast? Yeah, voice? it goes like this. Hi, Joey. How are you? <laughs> I, I would do it more like this. Hi. Oh, it's me, Matt Vogel. Oh, You're do it lower. The internet. Yeah. Hi there. More manly, a little more manly, but it hurts to do that. <laughs> well, you're very. That's very manly. <clears throat> anyway, Joey, you ready to do this? I'm ready, Matthew. All right, you know there is no way that I'm going to be able to cover your whole life and it's not career. Been that great a life and everything. What are you talking about? <laughs> you can just get it in. Like There's too much, minutes. but I'm going to do the best that, that, that I can do. Okay, we're going to we're going to get it. Do it. All right, here we go. Do Joey it. Mazzarino, welcome to Below the Frame. Oh, nice. Thank you. Thank you, Matt Vogel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm going to ask you questions. Uh, for, at first, I thought you said blow the frame. I'm like, oh, no, I'm no. Blow the frame. It's below <laughs> no, the frame. Below the frame. No, I might have. Blow the shot. I'm going to be good. I might have. I missed the E. It. Yeah. Uh, the I'll e. do it again then. Uh, hi, Joey Mazzarino. Welcome to Below the Frame. Below the frame. That's yeah. better. What it's did you more think I said that time? I like that. Okay, good. Who knows what happens below the frame? I, Nobody knows. Well, that's so, why we're here. That's what we're not we going to find out. That on Thursdays, I never wore pants. <laughs> that's right. We no. It was. I thought it was pantsless Tuesday. Pantless Tuesday. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Well, I didn't wear them on th- any day that started with a T or yeah. had a Y at the end. Yeah. I never wore pants. Yeah. That should that should come out first, and now that it has, we can we can begin. You can move on. Yeah, we'll come back move to Pantsless on. Tuesdays later. Come back to Pantless Tuesdays. Yeah, uh, Joey, I know the answers to almost all these yeah, questions, Maddie. but I'm gonna I'm, I'll I'll make you be more specific. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in the good old U.S. of A. Yeah, specifically, what what part of Brooklyn? In Bensonhurst, very very. Well, in the seventies, it was like the place where, although it was Bay Ridge and, and Saturday Night Fever, but all the people that were extras in that film pretty much filled out the extras of my life, for better or for worse. It was like an episode of Welcome Back, Hotter, and anything starring John Travolta in the seventies. Yes, that is in the eighties. Just yeah. walking down the street That's where I grew up. Yeah, well, yeah. Th- there wasn't a lot of puppeteers back there. No, Bed In fact, 
No. But a lot of people carrying gallons of paint down the street, though. They're just carrying (laughs) gallons of paint. uh, You don't care. You don't go down. You don't go down the street with two puppets on your hand. going. No. <laughs> Staying alive. No, you do not. No, no, no. you'll probably get your your butt beaten yeah. for well, playing well, with dolls. Well, what was it? What was it like growing up there in Bensonhurst? I um, I gotta say, I didn't love it. I didn't enjoy it that much. Why? It was. Uh, I don't know. It was for me. It was like always trying to pretend that you were tougher than you are. I'm. I'm. Look at me. I mean, or listen to me. I'm not that tough, but I. I, I sort of pretended to be tough so as to avoid fighting because i didn't like fighting did you get into fights with anybody yeah yeah i got i got a bunch of fights i remember one time i was uh walking down the street minding my own business and i see this kid from down the block ronnie and he's getting beaten up by a bigger kid and i said like in a movie i said well why don't you pick on somebody your own size because ronnie was shorter smaller shorter and younger and and the guy and then he proceeded to beat me <laughs> so bad he got me in a headlock this guy michael who was and he he was like a year younger than me and he got me in a headlock and just started punching me in the face and i was like why did i get involved as i was in that headlock <laughs> and then i got i mean one time i was just happened to be dating a girl and a guy tapped me on the shoulder and uh just punched me in the face because uh the girl's brother didn't like me so he sent his friend over to just punch me in the face and it's funny you realize oh Getting punched in the face isn't as bad as it seemed like it what was you, going to be. But what do you mean? It didn't hurt as much as, like, you see in the movie, you go, oh. He yeah, but where did he get you? Got, like, in the cheek? He got, or right, the... he got me right in the, he got me in the cheek, Michael. He punched me many times in the nose. And he was a young kid. He's probably a sweetheart of a guy right now, but he, he punched my face many times. Did it bleed? In the nose. It had to, you had to bleed. No. no, no, it didn't bleed. It didn't bleed. But it did hurt. I remember, like, my eyes were watering. And then I would hang out on the street corners. I would hang out. Like, they called me the Pope of 16th Avenue because I was always out on the street corner. <laughs> just by yourself? Just tell my parents. Yeah, I would go, I'd go early because I just wanted to be out of my house. And I'd go and I'd buy a pack of cigarettes and smoke yeah. cigarettes on the corner until everybody gathered around. What age was this? When- but that, that was, uh, I was probably, that was 14, 14, 15. Jeez. And it was, yeah, that was not, it was not the best. It's probably not the best way to grow up. And there were just like always fights between our group. I remember just be sitting on the corner and we used to hang out. The toughest place you could hang out in the corner is uh, right in front of the beauty parlor, <laughs> right in front of the salon. And we really? used to hang out there. We all gathered. There was a little step and we'd sit there and wait. And then one time, because we hung out with a bunch of girls, but they also hung out with other kids from another area. And a van pulled up, and the van door f- got, like flies open, and somebody just like threw at like really high speed a shot glass at our heads. Oh, because <laughs> like, ah, they were mad, and then and then it was like going to be a fight. They're coming to fight us, and my best friend, we're, we're all getting we're getting weapons. Like, I remember this. I remember you telling me this. There were people with baseball bats. <laughs> and my friend, my, the people had baseball bats and everything else, and my friend gave me a hook. Like a hook that a guy, a longshoreman would use and I'm hiding behind a car and I'm thinking, what do I do with this? Like if a guy comes up, I don't know, what am I going to do? Thank God no, that did not end up in a fight. But I just looked at that and I thought, I, what am I going to do? Was, was there any? So this, did, was not, this was not the greatest way to grow up. And I, I, I disliked it. I was nervous all the time. Did, did, did the law, did police ever come around? Were you ever, you know, dispersed no, by no, the No, no, the, the worst that ever happened, and I swear to God, you, if you said this in a, 
in a movie, you'd think, oh, no, this is a lie. Somebody was after me because I was dating this girl, and he was dating this girl. He was after me. He was like a tougher, older kid, and he actually wound up going to prison later on, and I was so scared. And I just enlisted my cousin and all his friends from another school who were way tougher than my friends. And we went to my house, and we watched a VHS copy of The Warriors. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we all gathered. We got baseball bats, and we walked to the pizzeria where this guy where this guy hung out. This was like about a mile away. And as we're walking, a guy stops us and he goes to my cousin. He says, what are you guys doing? What are you, to all of us, he goes, what are you doing with all those baseball bats? And my cousin says, well, we're going to play softball. He goes, well, where's your gloves? And we didn't have any gloves. We're not going to play softball. And then he proceeds to open his mouth and take out his front teeth. He goes, see this? Um, This happened because, this is because of a girl, right? Because see this? This happened because he took out his two front teeth. And he was like, oh, he lost his teeth because yep. of a girl. And then he, he has a hoodie on, and he, and he makes a move, and a blade comes through the, like the shirt, the cotton of his shirt, and goes to my cousin. He said, I could have stabbed you in the neck. That's how fast it happens. Are you sure he didn't say, I could have stabbed you in the neck because his teeth, he pulled his teeth out? <laughs> he did. He did. No, he put them back in. Oh, wow. And then he said, he said it could have happened that fast. And if this was a movie, you'd go, you know what, let's turn around and go home, guys, because this is bad. That's an omen. That guy's an omen. Yeah. Don't go to the pizzeria. But we didn't. We kept um, going <laughs> to the pizzeria. And uh, my friends waited outside, and then I went in, and I was like, is blankety blank here? And I was like, they're like, no, he's not here. I was like, will you tell him uh, Joey Mazzarino's looking for him? And I was like, thank God he wasn't there. I don't know. Again, what, what was I going to do? Yeah, hit him with a bat. It's like good God. Um, but then he never, he never ever bothered me again. I guess he was nervous that and I was coming so. at him with a bat. <laughs> yeah, and rightly so. But I, you know, but it's all because I was, I was full of fear. There were no puppets in that. There, no, no, not one puppet at all. You didn't really. No, no not one. And then you went no, on to be a puppeteer. I did not play with puppets as, as a child. And I, yeah, and I, I pivoted. Yeah, I pivoted. Uh, tell me about your family because I know them and they are wonderful. Tell me about them. They are. Well, it's uh, I got my mom and my dad. You got uh, Ursula and Angelo Mazzarino and my sister Stacy. We all grew up there in, uh, in Brooklyn. And they're, they're awesome parents. They're um, very supportive. Although when I decided I was going to be a puppeteer, I remember my mother going, because when I did get into puppetry, yeah, I would I became obsessed. You know me. And yep. when I get into something, I get obsessive. And I would be building terrible puppets in my basement all night. And I would put a monitor and a, and a camera up in my bedroom and practice all day. And I wasn't seeing my girlfriend. And she's like, what is happening? You're not seeing your girlfriend? What's going on with you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm practicing. I want to be a puppeteer. Well, a puppeteer? What kind of job is that? You can't make a living as a puppeteer. <laughs> so the, that was, um, yeah, that was, that was not, 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 at the time she did not get what, who could do this as a living. No, no. And I didn't know either. I, this is how much I knew, Matt. And I think you knew yeah. this about me. Yeah. I saw Empire Strikes Back with my dad at what, I guess I was 10 or 11. And um, coming back, I was like, wow, that Frank Oz must be really tiny for him to get in that costume <laughs> for Yoda. <laughs> I, I had no idea that was a puppet. I, Wait, you know, I saw did, walking in Dagobah. He like ran across. He, did you he, know he, he at that time it. about the Muppets? I watched the Muppet Show, but I did not know who Frank Oz was or that he played any of those characters. I just, I did know Star Wars because I was obsessed and I knew yeah. Kenny Baker was in R2-D2, not all the time, right. which I really thought he was in all the time. Yep. But I just assumed, well, Frank Oz must be a very tiny man and he gets in that very <laughs> tiny costume. 
That's how stupid I was. Yeah, what a dummy. Too, uh, <laughs> too many punches to the nose. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> Only uh, maybe that would have helped. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, so other than terrorize other people in the neighborhood your age, what else did you do as a kid? <laughs> as a kid, I watched so much TV that I we guess back in the old days, kids, yeah. we used to get a TV guide every week. Yeah. It would come to the house, and I on a Friday when the TV guy would show up in the mail, I would grab my pen yeah. and I'd go through. And I would circle everything for every hour of every day that I'd watch. And as long my parents were, they didn't, they didn't mind me watching on TV as long as I didn't get interfere with my homework. Right. So I would figure out, and I would every week try to beat my record of how many hours of TV I could put in a day. And I was watching everything. So like, tell me, give me an idea of like, it was like, this was a Saturday night. What are you watching? Oh, oh, oh Saturday night. Well, it would be like Love Boat and Fantasy Island oh, yeah. and, and uh, Saturday, uh, Friday, it would be Friday night or probably like the Honeymooners or, or Odd Couple was on syndication. But I would actually be on like, going, oh, uh, if I wake up at 6.30, I can watch Richard Simmons. Wait, 6.30 a.m.? <laughs> Like, yeah, if I go wake up early, I'll turn it on. I had a little black and white TV in my in my room. I'd put that on and watch Richard Simmons. I had a true TV addiction. I was yeah. like, and that was really big into like Three Stooges and and things like that, you know, like Abbott and Costello. But I would, I would, my big thing was as many hours of TV as I can watch. And I obsessively would tape. Like, I, be, I was a huge MASH fan, so I... I subscribed to Video Review Magazine, and at the end of MASH, they had a checklist of every episode. This is before the internet. Yeah. And I, I, I would record every episode and then check it off my little list. And I put six hours. You know, I take yeah. it on six-hour drive, so the quality was prima. Good quality. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you've still got those videotapes, don't you? Or did you finally get rid I of them? I don't know. I don't know. My, when my parents moved from Brooklyn, they, yeah. they dumped oh. my, all my cheers. I and mean, my, think of that work I had that you put into that. volumes of cheers. I, and, you know, the best part of it was so the work. commercials now anyway so oh, and i yeah. had edited them out because i had two <laughs> vcrs connected and i'd go through yeah. and take out all the commercials so, so the, i can maximize so the, the quality on. from one it, oh now, yeah from one to the other, other. It's, it's worse it's, it's, just, it's a six hour to six hours so you did a lot of tv in that tv watching did you ever watch sesame street you said to watch the muppet show but did you watch sesame or were you too no i you know old? i watched sesame street as a child and yeah. uh i was uh, like afraid of the count I remember being afraid of the count. You were? He scared me a little bit. My oh, wife, Kelly, was afraid of the count. Kelly was afraid of the count? Yeah. yeah. I was afraid of the count, too. I didn't like him. He scared me. Um, but I loved Sesame Street. I mean, and I had the album. And my dad was funny. I don't know if I told you this, but my dad, he had a big portfolio of his art from when, because he worked, my dad worked at, uh, in the 70s. Well, in the 60s, he was like a madman on, on, uh, on, Madison Avenue doing advertising and then he worked for Columbia Records as an art director and when I was going through his portfolio I found he did ads for the first Sesame Street record wow so I was I thought that was cool that he had done That's something for cool. Sesame and when Tony Bennett came on my dad had art directed like a Tony Bennett thing and my dad was on the cover and I said I brought it to him and he signed oh, it for me it was so like cool. a love story or something like that but yeah so it was a little connection but I, I didn't watch Sesame Street at that age, I didn't watch Sesame Street until college. Like I started, I was in college and uh, I, I was volunteering at a, um, well, in high school I volunteered at this nursery school and I'd go back and visit and they always on a rainy day would watch Sesame Street. And I thought, that, wow, that show is so funny. And then I started watching when I was home. Like, you know, if I was between classes or something, I would watch and, uh, and laugh. And I thought, yeah. wow, they're really writing 
some funny stuff for adults as well as kids. And I didn't know that as a child, but I realized that as an 18, 19 year old. When you were that age, did you have any idea of what you wanted to do with your life, where you wanted to go? At that age, so after a while hanging out on corners, I thought this isn't working. Um, so I really wanted to be an actor. I started, I was like, oh, I really want to. And that's sort of when I, when I found acting in probably senior year of high school, it was like I found my tribe and I was like, oh, these people are awesome. And they became my best friends and I no longer was hanging out on corners. And um, I just wanted to do that. And so I really wanted to be an actor. And it was because of acting in college that I met Camille and I met a puppeteer and, and uh, set me on my road to puppetry because, yeah. again, it was not a thing I entertained as, as a possibility of a career. But what did you go to, to college to study? I went so so I was I went to I went for acting so yeah. in high school all all my all my really good friends most of my really good friends were were part of the theater community because I found them in senior year and my friend Joe he convinced me not to go to NYU because I got into Tisch and he said don't go to Tisch you're you're not going to get in any shows there like Fordham's got such a smaller theater department we're going to get in every show. Like, go to Fordham and we'll, we'll, we'll just rule the school. And I was like, he's right. I don't want to be like a small fish. I want to be a big fish in a small pond. So I went to Fordham. And Matt, guess how many shows I got in freshman year at Fordham? Uh, all of them? I guess. <laughs> Close. <laughs> zero. I got wow. cast in zero shows in freshman year. <laughs> I was so disappointed. And I was like, why did I do this? Ugh. And I really, I thought, oh, man, this is a bad mistake. But luckily, I met Camille there. Also, also, if I didn't do that, like... I happened to be dating a, a girl in college, and her dad worked, he was like a VP of, at the time it was New York Telephone, and it was summertime was coming. Oh, I and, remember this story. Uh, <laughs> so summertime's coming. This is a good one. And his sons are all, um, his sons are all taking a test to become uh, telephone workers to work uh, over the summer as a job. Yeah. And they said to me, and I really loved this family, they were wonderful and very kind to me and they said do you want to go in for a job and also i wanted to seem manly so i said yes i want to go for a job and i want to be a telephone repairman and climb the poles and my um her brothers didn't want to do that they wanted to work inside of the switching or whatever it was that they did and i was like no i want to be a a, a telephone repairman so i go and i take the test and I, and there's one of those first times where i was in a test where i thought wow, I did this poorly because they start calling names and everybody's going up and it's like six of us left. And I thought, wow, I'm on the bottom six of this class. I can't believe it. And it turned out we were the only six that actually made it. Everybody else, they dismissed. And I made it. And then I went and trained as a, a telephone repairman. Yeah. And I remember they sent you to training and you had to get up on telephone poles and, and you have to trust your belt. You wear those belts and you climb the pole and you put your belt around the pole and they lean you and you have to lean back and they throw a basketball up and there are eight poles and you just have to pass them to the guys on the other poles is just to trust, trust your belt. So I did this and it was a summer that was terrible weather. And if you worked for a utility, they can force you to work as many hours as possible. And I was working, I was like, I don't know, 19 or 20, probably 19. And I'm working like, I don't know, 50, 60 hour weeks in people's homes trying to repair. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to repair their phones. And you're going into sometimes really depressing homes, sometimes really kind of scary homes where there are animals that are barking at you. Or one time I was up on a pole in my neighborhood growing up and a big Cadillac drives up to the bottom of the pole. And this guy definitely seems like he is an extra out of Donnie Brasco. And he pops out. He's like, what are you doing up there? Oh, and I noticed there were like two plastic, special plastic things over yeah. his or maybe whoever's 
a pair of things that go in their house. I'm like, oh, what are these? Obviously, they were so nobody tapped their phone. And I was like, oh, my God, that guy is so scary. <laughs> he was at the bar, show me ID. I'm like, oh, okay, I work for the telephone company, sir. But anyway, I came out of that experience. I hated it so much. They wanted to hire me full time. And they said, we'll give you a scholarship to go to school. I was like, no. I came out of there seriously like, like in Gone with the Wind where she's like, never go hungry again. I was like, I will never work blue collar again. I hated it so much. It was so hard. And, I, uh, and my body was not built for that. Matthew. It's not. No, I know. So I, then, I went, then I went back to college and I was like, I'm going to get in every show. And that, that, I came back to junior year or yeah, junior year and I got in every show. Anything I auditioned for, I was like, because I'm working hard. Yeah. I'm not doing I want, and, I want a cushy life of an actor. I didn't want to. <laughs> That's right. Be on yeah. Any more telephone poles. Yeah, and then, so and then you met done. Camille Benora. Camille Benora I had met freshman year, and she had said to me in freshman year, because um, that's when I was watching Sesame Street, you know, Jim Henson will be in one day, and I'll, I'll invite you to the set. And I was like, that would be amazing. I, I didn't want to be a puppeteer, but I was like, that would just be amazing. Yeah. And, you know, cut to, Two years later, I hadn't seen her, or maybe two and a half years. It was two and a half years, and I just never saw her again. And then she, I was lighting a show, and she came to see the show because it was directed by a friend of hers. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I, I promised you you'd meet Jim. Well, uh, you know, I'm sorry I never called you, but he's coming in next week. Do you want to go? So I cut school, and I visited Sesame Street for the first time and met Jim, and that was crazy. Now, <laughs> and, when and, you met Jim, I have a question. Were you building puppets at this point? No, 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 I was not. I had no, I didn't want to be a puppeteer. I thought right. it was a cool job and I loved Sesame Street, but it wasn't until I went there that day and I watched and it was really cool meeting Jim, although I was like a blathering idiot. Like when I met him, I was like, I go to school, I like school and puppets are nice. You know, I didn't know what to say. And, <laughs> right. Um, but I got to observe for the day and Richard Hunt was the guy. He just made everybody laugh on set. And it was a Muppet insert day, so they were shooting a lot of sketches. And he was a, like a, a British butler, and he was a cowboy, and he was like a letter, some letter, maybe it was the letter H or something. And he just was constantly hilarious and did all these different voices. And I was like, that's like the best job because you could be an actor and be anything. Like you yeah. can literally do anything. And I remember saying to Camille, how do you get to do this? And she was like, Oh, it's really hard. You, like these guys have been doing it for years and years. Like it's really hard. Like you, you don't, you, you're not going to do this. And I was like, but just tell me anything. And she's like, okay, well, it, just one thing. Just make sure you drop your thumb. It's all about dropping your thumb. Don't make your hand, hand go up too much. So, and she said she told me she when she was practicing when she'd be on the phone she would move her you know she would lip sync everything as she talked and so I just took those things to heart and started doing that and then had had the Muppets of Muppets and Men yeah. book. Yeah, that actually my brother-in-law at the time, Thomas had given me as a gift. I took it out and started looking at those pictures, and that's when I started building puppets in my basement and terrible, terrible puppets. But, uh, but I just got obsessed. But you did. You that was what you did. Yeah, you 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 do have a tendency to get obsessed with something and then really. Well, I knew I didn't want to build, although I did try to get a job as a builder for like a summer. Yeah. But I wanted to. I thought, well, if I build my own puppets, then I can perform my own puppets, and I took the. The standard uh, puppeteer surrounded by, in my case, very bad puppets yeah. shot that every puppeteer oh, yeah. needs. I had, yeah. one of, I had one of those. You had one of those. And, and did yeah. you know about monitor stuff and you were working on monitors just by seeing? I did because, I no, I watched, um, I had watched them and, and she told me, you know, that you have to watch in a monitor. So I put up, my dad had like an old JVC video camera and I put that on a, 
on a high shelf and I just hooked it up to a small TV and, uh, and I was tra- training myself how to do, you know, look at a monitor and watch my performance. And do you remember how hard it was at the beginning? Or did oh, my God, yeah. And then, I, I mean, I remember the first time Kevin, because I was working for Kevin on a show called Rory's Story. It was like a special with some ch- children's singer. And uh, he let me do a like a one-line character. And I just remember everything I had Taught, thought I knew was out the window as soon as I had a puppet on my hand and I was supposed to be like I was like a little squirrel or something and he was nervous and it actually worked because I was like I said my line I was like ah, ah, and I went to go and I was going the wrong way I was like ah, and I ran that way I was like, well, at least it worked for that but I totally as soon as I was in front of a crew I went the wrong way like an amateur puppeteer thinking I was going yeah. one way but I was actually reversed yeah it was really really hard so you kind of built your own puppets you tried to work on being a work on the monitor you met you had met jim I did i'd met jim and did then you? i built obsessively for like probably a year and then they were camille invited me back because they were shooting jim henson hour song of the cloud forest mm-hmm. and i thought well i'm gonna show jim my puppets he'll be so impressed <laughs> like only you have to be a certain age you have to be yeah. young enough to think that you you just have the bravery of an idiot that you know you know. don't know better. Yeah, not and enough I life thought, experience. I'm show him. Yeah, and I saw and I, I saw him again. I was like, Jim, we met last year, and and it changed my life. And look at these puppets I built. And he was like, very nice. Oh, that's very nice. And then Steve, I got I, Stevie was the kindest sweetest person because he actually put one on he said i can see what you're trying to do here and that's really great and he was so encouraging and i just thought steve was always like just looking out for me right from the beginning he was the best yeah and and just inviting and and encouraging so so you meet jim you show him your puppets what yeah what's your next step then i mean kevin invited me then to a workshop there was a workshop in uh in new york Mm -hmm. And I went to the workshop, and it was all people from... I, I met John Kennedy there, and it was all people like that had been doing it for, for a long, long time. And I went to that, and I, I got to have fun with that. And I remember he had said at the end to every puppeteer, put on a puppet, and I want you to say... You know, Jim may watch this, so just go and, and, and say something to Jim. And all, of the, all the people there, most of them, if not all... They all were doing like Sesame Street bits. They were all doing letters and numbers and real kid show stuff. And I was just like, I just went and started giving him dating tips. I like my my guy was just saying how to meet women. And I think that Kevin thought it was funny because then he he started to talk to me about, hey, I have this special in Baltimore. Do you want to come out with something from the WMAR, which is where Kevin uh, worked on when before he was in New York on a TV show. And uh, he invited me down to that, and I stayed in his in his basement, and I was right-handing. And oh, and no, and, and, oh my God, how can I leave out Camille? Camille gave me my first job. Camille had done Christian videos called Ben and Eddie, and they hired me. Her Ben Ben Harney, who was my mentor in life, he was one of my mentors. He was my teacher. He won the Tony for Dreamgirls, and Ben was one of my mentors and acting teachers, and just how to live a good life. And uh, they were doing these Christian videos, and they said, we're, we're casting you as Georgie, who was like this neighborhood you know, Italian kid who, who this little dog looked up to as a big brother. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. And, and Camille said, plus, I think I'm going to use you as my right hand. And then I started jumping up. Oh, my God, I'm going to be the right hand. I'm going to be puppeteer. And they're like, who in the world? They get cast as an actor, but you're jumping up and down because you're going to like shake a little arm rot. Yeah. I was so super excited, and I got to do that. That was my first professional job before Kevin. 
and then Kevin hired me. And that was just working with Camille was, she's like the funniest human being on the planet. Camille is amazing. She, it was a real loss to Sesame Street and the puppetry world when she stopped doing puppets. And then I remember him saying, do you want to go out? Do you want to audition for dinosaurs? Uh, But then you won't be able to do Sesame Street. I was like, no, I can't. I don't want to. Sesame Street is my dream. I don't want to go out and do dinosaurs. And then he put me on, he started putting me on Sesame Street as like a right hand. No, I think the first thing he gave me was a thing called the Wet and Dry, and I got to play a sailor in the good ship Wet. It was like a song. That was your first day on Sesame Street as a puppeteer? That was my first day in like, I want to say December of 1989. I got to be in a, in a Muppet insert, and it was probably the greatest day because we were all like there were crew guys up on on ladders with water they were like throwing water at us and we were wearing um we were like rain ponchos and stuff because it was but we were on the good ship wet so that was super fun and uh yeah good time so you're working on sesame street and then uh the next year 1990 did you go to did you go yeah so then i went out to do i got to work on um right before uh i was in college Mm-hmm. Like my last year of college, and Kevin says, you know, they were buying Muppets. Was, Henson was being bought by Disney. Yeah, and Kevin's out in Orlando, and he calls me. He says, I can't find a lot of great puppeteers out here. Can you come and work on the Muppets Go to Disney World special? And I was like, Yeah. He's like, You'll just be doing right hands. I said, I don't care. And he says, You're going to be living on my couch. It's fine with me. <laughs> I was like, That's okay. I'm good. Yeah. So I went out and stayed on Kevin's couch, and. uh Kevin, it was Kevin, Jim Martin, me staying in the room. And I still have a terrible bladder. Like I have a very small bladder at night. I was yeah. living on the couch. There was no bathroom in the living room. So at night, I would have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And I'd have to go in their room. And they were getting so mad at me that I was like scared to go to the bathroom. Because here I am like a young kid. I, I don't. These guys are the professionals. Oh my yeah. God. I don't know what to do. So I started going... There was like a slop sink down the thing. I was like, oh. I'll pee in that slop sink because no. I didn't want to get them mad at me. Yes. Yeah. Sad little me out there. <laughs> and Kevin was calling me Indiana Joey because I had no, like, I didn't even use my sheets. I would just sleep in my clothes on his thing. Like, it was Indiana Joey. <laughs> uh, and that was amazing. That was mean. That was what a great, lucky thing to be part of, just yeah. to be there and to watch Frank and. Jim and don't forget, I mean, and Richard, and we'd go out to dinner. And at this point, when you saw um, Frank, were you like, oh, he's a lot taller than I thought? <laughs> I was like, wait, that? How did he fit in that costume? I don't understand. Um, no, I just was like in awe because they would do all this stuff like before. You know, obviously, I mean, it was stuff that probably they had done before, like little bits like where. Like they would inflate, like Kermit would blow up Miss Piggy and inflate her and she would like float off as a balloon. He was just like little things before the roll or after the roll, you know, that just were cracking everybody up. And I was like, oh my God, how lucky am I to be here to watch this? It was really fun. And then to be in Disney World, we were shooting in Disney World and it was like Charles Grodin was in it. Um, He was like the security guard and I'm like laying on the floor of the brand new MGM Studios at the time, and there's Charles Grodin right next to me, and it was, it's like, oh my god, this is the best job in the world. How yeah. could you not want to do this? I know, I know. And then uh, in May, Jim Jim died. Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, I I I was graduating that next day from college, and I just remember just just being devastated because you know here he was like a month and a half before that I, he was alive and. 
and everything was i couldn't even it was unimaginable because he was fine I, don't, I didn't couldn't believe he could be dead that quickly and so young did somebody call you or did you find out on the news? I was at, I, I was dating a girl in Ambler, Pennsylvania at the time. And I think I heard it on the news first and I was just devastated. I didn't know what to do. Um, I, I remember one, like on, at the special, I, it was so funny because I didn't get that much time to talk to Jim because he didn't know me. I was just, I was just a right hand, but there was one point where, um, I can't remember if it was the guy from the Muppet show was the music director, Derek, maybe Derek something. Derek Scott, maybe was his name. He was the music director on the original Muppet Show, and they had to do a hooray for Captain Spaulding, but nobody knew the tune. I was like, I, I have the Marx Brothers album at home. I, I have that. So I'm calling my mom. Uh-huh. We're in the production office. And I'm calling my mom. Mom, go, go, to, my, go to my record player. Go, yeah, go to my stereo. Turn my stereo. I'm, I'm in the box. Yeah, there's a box. It's a, it's a crate, Mom. It's a milk crate. It's a milk crate. It's an orange milk crate. And there's a, there's a Marx Brothers album in the gym. She's going to show. And Mom, put on, put on side, side one. Side one, track two. Yeah, track two. Yeah, she's gonna. She got it. Okay, it goes like this. Hooray for Captain Spawn. Oh no, hello. I must be going. I think that was the one. Uh, da, da. And I'm no, I, I can't really hear it. Oh, here, here, here. Take the phone. I'm giving it to Jim. Here, listen, Mom. Put that thing louder. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like, I'm just like sweating. Oh please, let this work. <laughs> don't fail me, Mom. Don't fail me, Mom. And my mom's under pressure. I don't know how to work this. <laughs> and, um, uh. and then you know, two months later, he was gone, and I just, I was. You know, I was super, I mean, like the rest of the world, I was just super depressed about it. And then I had to go to my graduation the next the next day or two days later, and I just was like, I don't care. I don't want yeah. to do this. I don't care about that. And then, you know, going to the memorial was amazing and beautiful. And But, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was rough. We're going to take a quick break from my chat with Joey Mazzarino because it's time for a word from our sponsor. Come in. Hey, Dad. Hey, Jack. Uh, I wasn't sure you were going to, you know... Uh, wasn't sure I was going to... What? Uh, well, I, I wasn't sure that you were going to be part of the second season of the podcast. Oh, I have to be. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I'm the only one who keeps this whole show grounded. Well, wait, what do you mean? I, I mean, keep I... you from getting too full of yourself. Uh... I keep the fake ads from being too righteous. I keep the people's expectations who listen to this right where they need to be. Not too high, not too low, just uh, in the middle, you know? Wow. I mean, I'm, I just, I, I mean, is, is that really how you feel, Jack? Nah. I got better things to do. Oh. But I don't mind coming in and giving you a hard time every once in a while. There you go. Come on, enough of this preamble. I got to rip the scratchy tags out of all my t-shirts. Play the fake ad. The tall shoes. The short puppeteer had tried on every pair of shoes in the store. Fine enough for scooting around on the floor, she thought. Or for crouching under a table, she also thought. But none of these shoes give me that certain something. Well, that's it, said Lorenz. That's every pair in the store. Oh, but don't you have any more shoes, she begged Lorenz. Any more at all? Any other shoes that will give me that certain something? Lorenz looked at her, unsure of whether he should admit what he knew, and yet... He could use the commission. Well, madame, I do have one more pair, but you don't want them there. They're what? They're the tall shoes. This intrigued the short puppeteer. Bring them to me. Are you... are you quite sure? Bring them. 
The tall shoes were indeed tall. Ridiculously tall. Redefiningly tall. Taller than what you'd think tall would entail. The kind of tall that went all the way down to the ground in the front and in the back. The kind of tall you never see in a shoe, and the kind of shoe that you never see without a sequined cape or five Spice Girls to go with it. The short puppeteer's eyes flashed. Put them on me. Lorenz demurred. Oh, no, no, they are too tall. Put them on me. The short puppeteer was not messing around. Lorenz perched on his little stool with the slanty thing in front and laced her securely, paying special attention to the ankles. After the little bunny went round the tree into the hole and home again, the short puppeteer arose from her cushioned vinyl bench, six inches of platform now underfoot. As she breathed air at an entirely different altitude, she felt a sensation she had never felt before and finally realized what that certain something was that she'd needed for so long. Height. Height that allowed her to stand next to the not-short puppeteers and have her puppet actually reach the frame, rather than just be a little head bobbing around the bottom of it, looking like a shark fin, and we all know that head-shaped shark fins are useless. She felt like Sonny Bono turning into Cher. I like them. Loren stared in horror. Without thinking, he blurted it out. But you look ridiculous. I know, but they're more practical than standing on a box. So if you're a short puppeteer in a world full of not short puppeteers, and if you're working standing up and need to be as tall as the other performers, and if you've tried on every other pair of shoes in the store, and if Lorenz is working that day because he's only part-time, the shoe gig is just a temporary thing until he finishes his screenplay and gets an agent, and then you'll see. Ask him to bring you... the tall shoes. That's right. Today's episode of Below the Frame is brought to you by Tall Shoes. And it's true. All Muppet performers are not the same height. So we do have to keep that in mind when we're performing standing up. So when we have a bunch of different height performers in a scene, we try to find the optimal height of the frame, the camera frame, and then we all try to play to that. And generally that means that the taller folks have to get a little lower and the shorter folks have to get a little taller. And thanks to Tall Shoes, they can do that. And it is not always easy to walk around in those tall shoes, I'm told. It's a, it's a bit of a balancing act. And I have personally seen performers like Stephanie DeBruzzo get on her toes in her tall shoes in order to do something she needs to do in the frame. It's remarkable to watch. But, you know, it's something to keep in mind on what might be happening below the frame there with the help of some fancy footwear. And with that, I'd like to thank Tall Shoes for being a sponsor of Below the Frame. Now, back to the show. We're back with Joey Mazzarino, and we were talking about after Jim Henson died. So at the memorial, did you, were you one of the group of puppeteers? No, no, no. I was just in the, you know, I, I was literally, I had just worked a few days, so I didn't get to do that. I just watched. But you were there. I was there, and, and it was, you know, it was just so devastating. And I just thought, oh my God, what is going to happen? This is... You know, all these beautiful characters and Sesame Street, I just thought, wow, it's at the end. That's just the end of an era. Yeah. Did you think that, I mean, they're never going to recover from this? Did you think it's. I did think it. that. I mean, I didn't, you know, so much stuff was going on. They had the Disney thing going on. And I just thought, what is going to happen to these characters, you know, without Jim? I, I, I didn't think anybody would do Kermit again. I, you know, I just thought, well, that's, that's it. 
uh, yeah, I just thought I was very in a very bad place, you know, very down by it. Yeah. So after you graduated and after Jim had passed, and are you then working on Sesame Street full time, or are you able so, to no, a no, job no. on the I side? Was, I was just like, bring this guy in when you can. And I had done another season. Maybe I did another part of the season. I was, I was in a bunch. And then I got an offer to go out to do to Florida, to the new Universal Studios out in Florida to do a show called Eureka's Castle, which was on um, Nickelodeon at the time. And I said to Kevin, you know, I just got this offer and it's full time, you know, and, and they couldn't offer me a full time contract. So I said, I'm going to take it. And I remember a few uh, somebody else was offered that same contract, and they didn't take it because they didn't think that the Sesame Street would have them back. And I was like, I just can't, I just can't pass up this opportunity because it was like I get to do a character and a special, and I was going to be on the whole time. And I was like, I'm going to do this, and it was, I mean, it was the greatest. That was, I mean, you and I have been to Florida and got to oh, yeah. just be there. And I was, you know, I was 21 years old, and I got to live in Florida, and I wasn't staying on a couch, so I didn't have to pee in a sink. <laughs> I had my own my own apartment. And yeah. I just got to hang out with Brian Meal and oh Noel McNeil and Rob yeah. Gardner and Pam Arciero. It was just like super, f- like that cast was like Cheryl Blaylock and Lynn Hippen. They were just all the best, most Did fun you feel people. like it was like a, a good training ground for you and a li- like a little less pressure because you weren't under the Sesame Street umbrella? Did it feel that way? Um, yeah, I didn't, feel, I didn't feel an enormous amount of pressure there. It just felt like fun. And I mean, most of the time I was Magellan's tail or some, or his yeah. right hand. And it was just awesome to be with Noel, who mm-hmm. at the time I said he was the meanest man in puppet land because he was just <laughs> always yelling at me. But he, he was not really, he was always yeah. so sweet. And we just had the best time. And then we would go to the parks, you know, we'd go to Universal. It was like, the, oh, we're going to the opening of the, uh, the Gak Fountain, Slime Fountain. I don't know. There used to be something in the park that was like <laughs> spitting slime all day. And, yeah. and it was like Russell Johnson. Is that the professor's name on? Gilligan's Island, yeah. Russell, something. Yeah, he was he was the uh, he was the host of that, and I was like, this is the best. I mean, and we'd watch Twin Peaks because Twin Peaks was a thing back then, and oh, every yeah. every whenever that was on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever Thursday, mm-hmm. we'd all get together and have pie and and uh, watch Twin Peaks, and it was great. The Simpsons was on Sundays. We'd have Simpsons parties. It was the best. It was a great training ground. Yeah, and I got to do hours. some character stuff. You got to do some stuff, and then uh, I did Sesame. Yeah, I, of course I, I got to do a puppet. It was like my first real role, and it wasn't a hand puppet. It was like this giant rod <laughs> with this monster on top, and it was like balancing a bowling ball on a broom handle. It was so <laughs> awkward. I, was like, I don't know. I, I didn't learn this one. I Give it to Mazzarino. He can do it. Yeah, he can do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> I also had, I when I as I as I started as a puppeteer, that one I didn't break, but I tend to break puppet puppet stuff a lot. Especially, I tend to break puppets too, especially rigs, rigs and and mechs and stuff. I break. Yeah, you're just too. They would always too strong, too manly. I'm so manly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I worked this muscle so much. Right? Yeah, I know. Like, oh, it's just, it's gosh, so, it's so strong. It's very strong. Yeah, uh, so finally, though, you you did become a full-time at Sesame Street. I became full-time, yeah. At some point, they said, hey, you know, do you want what we're going to sign you for the season? And uh, I did that. And then, yeah, that was, then the, you know, it was so much fun and got yeah. to hang out. And got to and hang out with all A lot of great characters. People. Remember these guys? Calambo? <laughs> I do remember Calambo. Do you remember? Calambo? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no you, go. you go. No, no Matthew, please. You, it's your show. I was just going to. Blow gonna, the I frame. Was, <laughs> Blow the frame. <laughs> 
Joey Monkey. Do you remember Joey Monkey? I remember Joey Monkey. What an original name. (laughs) And back at the time, I picked that to be my AOL address. (laughs) That's right. What's your email? Hi, I'm Joey Monkey. You're a 50-year-old man. Why do you have this idiotic moniker for your email? I was very young, and I thought it was my character. I should choose it as a name. Because who else is going to do that? Who else is going to do that? Yes, they loved bananas. Yeah. Joey and Davey Uh, Monkey. Narf? Narf. I kind of remember Narf. He was like a big orange guy. Yeah, yeah. For oh yeah, he had a big uh, uh, Narf. I Monster Clubhouse. Right, dear God, that is until you said that. No, I didn't remember Narf. Narf. (laughs) But now I remember Narf. 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 I don't remember what he sounded like, but I I did the character named Narf. Classic Joey character, and then Papa Bear. Papa Bear. Who could forget Papa Bear? I enjoyed doing. I, I I said it. So Dave Rudman was my best man at my wedding. And at the time, I, I remember he gave a speech that said that he was my husband because he was Humphrey and I was Ingrid. Uh-huh. He was my son because he was Baby Bear and I was Papa Bear. And he was my brother because we were Joey and Davy Monkey. So we were close That's in all great. those relationships. That was a really lovely speech. He really put a lot of thought into that. He did. He's a much more thoughtful friend. <laughs> <laughs> you never said anything so, no, so right. loving and touching to me. Yeah, I know. I'm a jerk. You're an ass. Stinky the Stinkweed? Oh, Stinky the, that was supposed to be David, actually. Oh, really? He, he got sick, yeah. He was, I don't even think he had a name. He was like this um, one-off in an Oscar show, and it was supposed to be Dave. And I think he got sick that day, and they let me do it. And then I was like, this character's the best. And I, I did steal for that. That is what? totally cribbed from Mel Brooks. Like, he, the two, So it's the 2,000-year-old man. And, and Norman helped me with that, because when we started to put him in other shows... Norman Stiles, the head writer. Norman Stiles, the head writer at the time. He helped me to develop that. We talked about Mel Brooks, and and we came up with Stinky being, because Mel Brooks did, did, in the 2,000-year-old man, he would talk about his mother, and his mother was always the classic Jewish mother trope that would guilt her family into doing stuff. And I thought, how funny is it if Stinky is just this very needy weed, and he just guilts you into staying where with him. Like, oh, it's all right. You go, go and have a live your life. I'll be okay here in the dirt with the worms. It's all right. You go. No, I'm fine. So it was. We totally, it, we totally cribbed. Did you like that, him? Not thing about, did you like him so much? I like because Norman. He Norman was no, very no, not nice. Norman. <laughs> I assume oh, you like Norman, but because he yeah. didn't have to move him, he just would sit in one spot. <laughs> You didn't have to, like, even less effort. Hey, guys, bring me more pillows. I'm going to take a little nap. There we go. Do much. I don't even have to use this hand. He didn't even have any other rods. Well, a little little tilt, a little. Yeah, that's it. And a little, like, that little jaw. Oh, there was a, a, yeah, he's got a great mouth. He did, there was, like, a little fishing wire to make his, uh, I think to make his leaves kind of move if I wanted to. Oh, but, uh, wilty. Why, but, why, yeah, he could wilt them. Again. And didn't he get a flower? Didn't he have like a little thing? There was a point where he had a very smelly flower. <laughs> well, then he would get it if he, there was one episode that was like a really stinky flower and Bill Irwin came in in like an outbreak suit to kind of, to, to come and take care of it, to trip, to cut it or something. And uh, there was also times when he was excited he would get a floral erection. <laughs> Blink, <laughs> let's just pop out right out of there. Uh, it was very sexual. Yes, it was. Beautifully uh, Georgia O'Keefe. Yeah. 
<laughs> so going from probably the laziest puppeteer job to yes, my stamen to Horatio. I didn't need a lot of stamina no. for my stamen. To no, you didn't. Go ahead. You didn't. Uh, to Horatio, Horatio the elephant. Remember Horatio? I remember Horatio? Horatio was super fun and freeing. I loved him. Yeah, and I remember you know one that you could. I'm very timid and tentative when I get into a full body puppet. You just don't care. Put snap you in and just let him go. <laughs> just run. Just, and just, just go until crazy. he gets tired and, yeah, out. Again, probably too many shots to the head. <laughs> Damn you. But I did love that. You just start kicking your leg. Oh, yeah? And, and, and I mean, also it could be dangerous because I would flail around and probably yeah. hurt other people. I think I remember flailing and then I didn't realize there was a rod attached to my trunk and I hit somebody in the arm and they got a bruise. Yeah, that was uh, me. No, was it you? No, no it wasn't me. Bruise? Did no, I bruise you? No, it wasn't I feel me. like it was like Michelle, maybe, or somebody. Yeah. Um, Michelle Hickey, who works with the Muppets yeah. for many years. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, Horatio, I loved, I loved, loved, loved getting in him and just going crazy. How did that work, though? Because he was originally just an AM elephant, wasn't he? And then at some point... He was originally say, an AM elephant that worked. Like, he worked horizontally. He yeah. did not work standing up. And um, I can't remember what the first thing was that they made him full body for and why they built these legs for it. But boy, oh boy, was I super happy. It was like, and, and was he in a tutu the first thing? Was he dancing? He definitely has been in a tutu. I know. I know. Oh, maybe I that was the first thing. One. I maybe think that was. was the first time that he was like ballet dancing and we built, we built him in, um, they built him a tutu and I got to, to dance with him. Um, <laughs> but yeah. It was super fun. I loved, loved, loved getting into characters. And of course, yeah. Murray Monster. Murray Monster. That was the my favorite thing ever. So Murray's got a great history, is because at the time, I want to say it's like two thousand three, two thousand four. I was going out to places in the world to teach writers how to write the show. So I was in where was I? Was I in Egypt? Yes, I was in Egypt, and I was working with the writers there, and. Uh, they had a puppet, I think it's Phil Phil, maybe is the name of the character. And it's got that great jaw. I think that's the name of the character. He's got that great jaw on with this beautiful smile in it. And I thought, man, that character just is so appealing right off the bat. You don't even have to hear it speak. And it just has this great personality. And um, maybe the next year, a bunch of anything Muppets came into Sesame Street. And one was built with that pattern of that jawline. And I said to Kev, Kev, don't give that to anybody yet because I want to do something with that puppet. It's just so appealing. And he, and he said, okay. And at the time, it was like happy, healthy eating or vegetables or something was the theme. And because I was good with interviewing kids, they had me interviewing kids as a broccoli. And I thought, and I said to, I think it was Louis Bernstein at the time, Louis, nobody wants to talk to a broccoli. <laughs> cares? Like nobody really wants to talk to a broccoli. I said, "Can I interview them as a as a monster?" And they said, "Well, what do you have in mind?" And uh, uh, I think it was Carolyn and Louis. And I showed them that puppet, and they said, "Yeah, okay, you know what? We'll try it out. We'll, we'll try it out." And, and they let me do it. And I'm about to go on, and I realize I don't have a name for this puppet. And I'm like I'm saying, "What do what do I ta- what do I call him?" And there was a guy visiting the set. It was like an old an older gentleman said, "Well, he's furry. Name him Murray." And I was like, "That was my grandfather's name, which it was." And I said, "Yeah, we'll call him Murray." And then that's how that's how Murray got his name. Yeah, I feel like I was probably your right hand for that. If I wasn't, I was definitely your right hand for many, many, uh, oh, many, many. You many, did many, a many, lot. Many I mean, we did all that stuff on the street. Where yeah, where we'd go to we go sh- to these. We shot those very, and directed those very very scary places in New York City. <laughs> 
Yeah. To interview well, were people. You were, there kids. For the, were you there when it, like, our set became a crime scene? Uh, the guy got stabbed when, or something, but somebody got stabbed. Well, no, no, we don't know. Like a piece of, his piece of bloody carpet came up. Oh, yes. The, yeah, out in. And then, the, and then the divers went into the water. And yes. I was like, this is no longer fun. Yeah, this now <laughs> They didn't find anything, but it was like, oh, wow, New York could be really I, fun for a second. I thought was there was a letter. Where, Wasn't there a letter that they found in the... There was a letter and they said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They did. Yeah, and it was like a really creepy, scary thing. And all those police came and the, the, the helicopters came and those boats came in the water and divers went in the water to look. Yeah. Meanwhile, and we're then, trying to talk about, you know, <laughs> hey, deciduous. Let's talk about, <laughs> pumpernickel. Yeah. He's worth his feet as pumpernickel. Uh, oh, wait a minute. It's homicide. <laughs> oh, yeah. But we did the, a ton of those out in all the way, all around oh, New York. All, all over the place. Do you know, you know, this, you were there. You know the story of the craft service, right? Uh, yes, I think so. But tell <laughs> it. Was this at McStabby so, Park? <laughs> it was at McStabby Park. So we're doing, we're shooting in the craft service. If you don't know, it's like when they set up food and snacks for people and some guy in the park says hey give me some of that food and the lady says sorry you know it's it's for it's for the crew i can't get it to you and he proceeds to take out his his private areas and dip them in the hummus <laughs> he just he just dipped his no, we his didn't cucumber see in the hummus <laughs> no we, we didn't see, see it but we, heard we did tell hear it, it from the craft service person yeah i did not see a man stick his his um, his crackers and the hummus, but it was uh, it was a terrible. Uh, but you were at the, uh, were you under the table with me when that guy ran towards me to attack me? Yeah, that was at Union Square <laughs> Park, wasn't it? Was that Union Square? And like, he's yeah, just, I, I, he said something, and then I said something back, and then he starts climbing over tables yeah. to get to me. And he and had a knife. When, yes, yes, yes. He had a knife, and I was like, "Oh God, where do I go?" It's a dangerous job to be a puppeteer. It was a dangerous sometimes. job to puppeteering. And do you remember when we? I think this was in, in in Alphabet City, and there was that ping pong table, that concrete ping pong table. Were you there for that? Yep. So we were shooting over there, and there was that one guy who had like his glasses. He had one glass yes. in and one glass out, and he was so mad that we were shooting because he plays ping pong there all the time. Yep. And we were shooting, and he was like standing. He kept moving closer and closer close. to us as I had the puppet up. Uh, <laughs> I remember our crew was the best because they just like formed this circle around me to yeah. get this guy to protect me in the middle of a take. I was so, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. New York was fun. I remember there was one lady, we, we, we arrived in the morning and she was so mad. She was smoking a cigarette. She's like, what are you shooting over here? Because obviously, like, Law and Order had been in their neighborhood, like, yeah. one too many times. And I said, oh, it's Sesame Street. She goes, oh, we'll stay as long as you want. <laughs> it's like, immediately, yeah. she went from this gruff lady to be like, oh, my God, of course. You Do stay. you remember that day that it, that it started to rain so hard? But but we had to shoot. We were outside. We had to shoot, and they put up the like the twenty the, foot. Yeah, they put up the twenty. Yeah, that twenty by or whatever like that was over yeah, the yeah, top yeah, of yeah. us, and you yeah. can see beyond. It's just pouring. It was just <laughs> yeah, because we had that. to shoot it. I remember that. that oh man, like we had, we would get into some stressful situations because we remember we had, were doing those STEM things and we'd have yes. to figure out what is this about. Yeah. Because we would just go and kids would be doing something. We'd go to a museum and they'd do something. Okay, now we have to make a story out of this. How yeah. do they do it? How do we do it? Or we'd go to a school and interview 60 kids just yes. in order to get like two things and, you know, yeah. just be like, start interviewing Oh man, them. I like, forgot oh, I about those schools. Remember Irish yeah. step dancing? Oh yeah, we that was to, fun too. Yeah. Skating, we went to skating. Murray had a little lamb. Skating. Murray had a little lamb, that yeah, was it. Those were oh, fun. My God. 
Baseball. Marietta Little Lamb. And who wrote the theme song to Marietta Little Lamb? That would be you. Oh, I mean, who recorded? Who recorded yeah. the theme song? Well, you wrote the theme song, right? I wrote it with, with with Judy and Belinda, I think, and maybe Molly. But who recorded it? Yeah, well, Lin Manuel Miranda. Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah, Before we gave he was him his start. About Hamilton. We gave he was him singing his about Murray and the Little Lamb. We did. We shot that. There was like a test that we shot because we had a production company called Pratt Fall Productions. Oh my golly! Right? Yes, we and did. We had, we had shot some stuff for Sesame, like some some. Uh, eating uh, my child and your children eating vegetables, I think. Yep, we had a, a <laughs> veggie, fruit, a fruit, fruit and veggie something. wrap that we did. That's right, we did. Uh, yeah. We had shot some stuff for David's company. Which, we shot a couple of things. We for shot Sesame. a cat walking up steps. Remember? <laughs> That's right, a kitten from a we were, shelter. We were putting all that like fish uh, oil or something, the tuna fish on the yeah. thing, so it would climb up. Yeah, and we didn't know what we were doing. And trying again. Yep, and then uh, and we shot the word on the street. The test for the word on the street. We did that. Yes, in, we did uh, do that. Columbus Circle, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We just took a we took Murray and we went to Columbus Circle and shot that. Just to I show them about that. Yeah, show them how how that show how it would look. Oh my god. Yeah, that's that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, uh, we had a good time. We man. did. We, we time. did. And and with our production company, we also shot a short film. That was called one of my Squeaks. favorite things we ever did. Murder, murder, he squeaked. We wrote it together. We puppeteered yep. it together. We shot in studio, studio on Ninety Third Street. <laughs> That's right. Thanks to our <laughs> producer our John, John Lodo. Lodo. Yeah, we used he his apartment. I mean, apartment. his studio. His yeah, it was studio it, apartment. It was really fun to create and not know what the heck we were doing. We really didn't. I still think. No, we didn't know anything. We bought, looks- remember, we bought an expensive camera, and yep. you learned how to use it. <laughs> Ish, sort of. <laughs> it was great. I thought yeah. you learned how to light. We bought a lighting kit. Yeah. Yeah, it was great fun. I still think that's a great idea. And that idea like came um, f- uh, from Dog City, because Dog City, I played a character named Artie. Dog City was a um, an animated and puppet hybrid show from Nelvana and Henson from the early 90s, and I played my first sort of main character. I think his name was Artie. And Artie had a little squeak toy, and I'd be, I'd be in the middle of um, uh, of a scene, and I had the squeak toy, and I was like, "What's that? What's that? You want me to go and kill the president? Oh, okay, Mister Squeaks." <laughs> like he would, do, like this little squeak toy would give him the worst advice ever. Like he would tell him to do horrible things, and Artie would want to do it. And Donnie Reardon, who was uh, may he rest in peace, Donnie was a super funny designer and puppeteer, an amazing guy. He would draw in between scenes or on lunch. He would just draw these amazing. Um, pictures of Artie with like a, a like a out like with a with a sniper rifle and the little <laughs> the little thing next to him going. Don't worry, I got him in my sights. Like, um, and that came from that idea. And then, and then we said, oh well, it'd be funny to do a film noir with this puppet, yeah. with this dog and his squeak toy that tells him to do to get to, to get rid of his owner's boyfriend. Yeah, and we made it all the way to the Trenton Film Festival. Does that what we won? One right? We won. We, we won. went to Newport. We won. What? We won the Ernie Kovacs Award. Didn't yeah, we? that's that was from Trenton, I think. Trenton. Yeah, I think fun. so. I loved it. It, it was, was so good. much fun. I would, I, I, that this should be a TV show. It's such a funny idea. Yeah, I love ridiculous. it. Uh, before we go any further, yes, somebody has sent a message to you, and I'm going to oh, play that message. Are you ready? Ooh, I'm ready. Here it comes. Like, this is your life. My dear Joey Mazzarino. Morning. Oh gosh. <laughs> So many great memories um, shared with that incredible friend. But I do remember um, (laughs) the first time he visited 
the Sesame Street studio. It was like 1988 or 89. And I was friends with Camille. And I remember that Camille told me that day, um, a friend of mine is coming to visit because he loves Sesame Street and he wants to be a puppeteer. And I invited him to come and visit. So um, this... This kid came into the set and it was Joey. Oh, and I have the the picture to prove it. And then it, that part of our lives, I think that's what I remember mo- most of a uh, um uh as an incredible uh journey because we both at that point I guess we wanted it to work for this group of an amazing puppeteers. And <laughs> Camille was so kind to um help us you know uh, rehearse and and practice before our week of a workshop that actually Joey and I got hired at the same time from the same workshop so uh, we came along um, after that workshop and I remember that time so Joey and I right Joey we've been in this journey together since that together yes And for me, I have to say something, that for me to see Joey's career um, go go up so incredibly high, and there's no limits for him as being an inspiration, and I'm so proud of him. Um, And also, you know, Joey, uh, when we did the word on the street, and he was Murray and I was Sobejita, I think that was an incredible time of creating and laughing and laughing and laughing and um, I love you Joey I miss you to pieces Carmen oh my god I love that Maddie thank you Carmen oh my god so GGG whenever Carmen would write he 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 because in Spanish the J has the he so she would like uh, yeah it was oh my god Carmen was so fun and Ovejita was hilarious it was really just funny. the most fun to be we would just throw that sheep everywhere and she would land and she was always up for everything and anything oh my god so, Carmen and yeah can't believe it. we did come up together yeah crazy yeah, yeah. crazy crazy somewhere in there Joey you became a writer on Sesame Street. I did. I did because of because of Columbo, actually. Yeah. Back in the day, Maddie, I'm not sure when you started if we had a hundred and do we still have hundred and ten episodes? When uh, I think maybe like one season of that and then we dropped. So yeah, there was a hundred and ten new episodes a year for the um, for Sesame Street. And uh, the writers were always looking for characters because they just had to fill hundred and twenty episodes so they came to the puppeteers and said um hey guys why don't you go over to the henson shop just look around and if there's any characters you want to do or any ideas you have for characters just put them on tape or tell us about them pitch them so david and i we really wanted to do an abbott and costello kind of characters i can't remember i can't remember what we called them but we did we put together two monster puppets that were brothers and we we did a whole bit and the day we were going to shoot that I saw that there was this black lamb puppet um, over at the shop, and Columbo was still on the air at the time. He might have been just like specials or movies of the week or something, but I thought, oh, well, what about if I did like a Peter Falk Columbo character and he solves nursery rhyme crimes, like what happened to old Mother Hubbard's dog's bone and stuff. So I just wrote down quickly on a piece of paper before I went in, I just wrote like a little advertisement, like a little 
local ad that Calambo would do from his office pitching his ideas. So we shot our thing with David and I, and then right before I left, I just threw that puppet on and shot this little ad. And after they watched it, um, Lisa Simon, who was a producer at the time, came up to me and said, uh, hey, Joey, you know, that was really funny. The writers think it's funny. I think it's funny. Do you want to audition as a writer? And at the time, I was so um, convinced by school because I did not know how to use a comma or a semicolon. I was like, oh, I, I can't write. I just can't write. And she said, well, we pay for the audition. And I was a hungry puppeteer at the time. And I was like, oh, oh then I'll, of course I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, so I did. I auditioned for it. And thank God I did because uh, that opened up a whole, just a whole other world for me. It was, it was yeah, it was great and amazing. And you became, you became a, a full-time writer on Sesame? So you go through a long process. You have to write. The audition process was like you write two sketches. And I wrote two sketches, and they thought those were funny. And then you write a sample episode. And my episode went through, and it was terrible. I remember they were shooting my episode. And uh, I remember being so just hurt by this. Not hurt, just like so embarrassed by it. But um, I was in the control room, and... Uh, I think Ted May was the AD and John Stone was directing and they got through a bit and Ted said, you want to go another one? And John said, this is not worth it. And I was like, Oh man, I better be better than this. <laughs> so I just, I just, I was like, I'm going to work harder and harder. But yeah, they started um, giving me shows and more and more shows. And by like my, I think my second season, I, they were like as many as you want, right? As many as you want. Wow. Cause there was 110 yeah, shows. Still a lot of shows. Yeah. So they were like, yeah, go ahead. And, and how was it? When did you become head writer of Sesame? So I became, Belinda was head writer for a year, and then she had some personal stuff with her kids going on, and I didn't want to take the job. And she, and she said, well, I can't do it. I'm going to I'm gonna go off and do this. And she said, I said, well, I'll only take it if you're, you know, if you're, if you're, when you come back and you want to, you can take it back when you're ready. And she said, you know, we'll see. And she never wanted to take it back, or maybe she did and she felt bad, but she never said it. But I was so glad that I got to do it because it, it was the just the greatest job. It was so much fun, and and to be leading that group of people, you know, Belinda and Molly Boylan and John Weidman, and just this amazing group of very funny people, and just to have them in the room and and have to create something was just the joy. What was Loved the it. writer's room like? Is there a real writer's room for you or what was your process? There, it, it was super, I mean, it's different than, you know, cause I've been on now on shows that have actual writer's room that are every day and you create every bit. That's not the way it works. It's more autonomous this way. Um, the way Sesame works or the way it worked when I was there was you get an assignment, you get a curriculum sheet and then you go and meet with the, uh, the head writer and you say, Hey, I'm thinking of doing a show about Elmo and Elmo's got a, he's got a problem with his hat, his hat keeps, whatever it is. And then you, and you work through that show and how it relates to the curriculum. And then you, you just say, okay, it sounds good to me. I'll sign off on it. I'll work with them on getting it done. They go off and write it. And then they come back and I'll look at it and I'll give them notes before I show it to anybody. And they go off and do a second draft. And then I'll, and then once the second drops in, then I'll share it with the group. We didn't do outlines at the time. I think now they may do outlines in every other show I do. They do outlines, but and that's an outline is just basically like a couple of paragraphs on what what's happening. Well, I mean, it's speech. it's a little more than that. It's uh, it's pretty much the whole story laid out in prose, you know, instead yeah. of dialogue. And they describe all the action and and the act breaks and stuff like that. And we didn't we didn't work that way. But but with Sesame Street, we would all get together at least once a month, sometimes more than that. 
to sort of the, see the state of the season and say, hey, um, hey, Luis, pitch me. What do you would tell everybody what you're working on? Tell them about your show. And then you'd go around the room and everybody says, and then you go, hey, maybe we should do a little theme this year. Is there anything we want to do? Or we would get an assignment and say, hey, uh, we need a new segment for Cookie Monster. That was, you know, when we created Cookie's Crummy Pictures, that was so fun because we spent, I don't know if it was maybe six days in total, but probably four of those days we spent developing a game show with him and Prairie Dawn. And at the end of that time, I was just like, this isn't working. Like, it's just not funny. And then I went home and I had a vision of Cookie in the... um, the Jules wig from Pulp Fiction, the Samuel L. Jackson wig, <laughs> telling us about the cookies in France, you know, like the quarter yeah. pounder with cheese scene, you know, and, and opening a thing and the gold light flashing on his face. And I thought, oh my God, Cookie Monster. And I pitched it to them. I pitched it to like Pulp Cookie, what would that could be? And him in like all these famous Hollywood roles. And then like from there, we just started riffing and going, oh my God, yes, this is great. We've put him in The Godfather and we'll put him in this and that and Harry Potter and Star Wars. And uh, by the end of that, Cookies Crummy Pictures came out and I thought, ah, that's the way, that's the way to work. It's It's such a great way to do like a parody and also curriculum kind of. Yeah, good curriculum. I mean, the the Biscotti Kid is still one of my favorites. uh, I love that piece because it was really, there was so much... um, Great stuff to, to parody in those series. Yeah, I love. We get to do it all, and it was uh, super fun. Yeah. So yeah, being getting to lead that staff was super fun, and probably one of the best things in my career. I loved it. Yeah, Joey, you're the it, fastest writer that I know. I don't know a lot of if writers. You, if you can't be good, be fast. <laughs> That's what I always. But say. you know, somebody could say, "Hey, Joey, I need a, I need a, a song for the letter W. When can you get me that that song?" And you'll be like, "Check your inbox; it's already there." <laughs> what? How did you? Yeah. I, so how can you do that? It's funny you say that, Matt, because I just for the first time I told you this that that I, I want Sesame Wanda, who works at Sesame, asked me to do the gala. And I wrote it really quickly, like I wrote it in a day, and, and she loved it. And she's like, I just, you're just so fast. I said, well, like, like writing these characters literally is like breathing air to me. I can write these characters. I can't always do that. I mean, I'm, I'm fast on my other shows, but Sesame, I mean, it literally was, it's like in every cell of my body, but those characters. How do you, I mean, did you have an idea, let's say, for this thing for the gala? Did, did Wanda no. say, here's an idea, or did she say, what do you want to do? Here's no, it was like it was like this is the things we have to talk about. These are your characters, and then I'll go. Oh, okay. John Oliver's in this piece, or this, and uh, I could do a parody of this, and I could do a really funny take them near and far for this piece. And uh, I don't know. I just, I just kind of sit in my room, room, this room right here, yeah. and I riff, and I just uh, come up with it. Do you do that uh, out loud? Are you are you just no, writing a lot down of times? Things, a lot or? of times, I'll, a lot of times I will start. The you know I'll be writing them and I'll be like oh how much love that can't right. do that out. you know and <laughs> oh it is me it is your Paul Grover and I'll just be doing that as I write and it makes it go faster because I yeah. hear them so yeah, clearly yeah. that's cool yeah yeah I don't do that on other shows but Sesame Street I tend to speak out loud yeah. <laughs> just to make sure they pass the test yeah it's it's always a pleasure to see your name on a script that's for sure um, oh, thank you Maddie we've got more with Joey Mazzarino but first we're going to ask a puppeteer about not puppets. Ask the puppeteer about not puppets. On today's installment of Ask a Puppeteer about Not Puppets, we are talking with Sesame Street Muppet performer John Kennedy. John Kennedy. Yeah. Do you have a favorite season? The fall. Why do you uh, like the fall? Because there's uh, 
all kinds of uh, fall festival kind of stuff you do, and it's Halloween, and that's fun, and just that whole season of football, you know, the homecoming, and a lot of fun things happen in the fall, and and that's around my birthday time, and then, you know, there's all the holidays hit, so I just love fall, and especially in New York, you know, it's Christmas time in New York, and when's its first snowfall going to be, and, you know, it's just exciting times. We're back with Joey Mazzarino. You also are a director. You directed on Sesame Street for many, many years. How how did you become a director? I became a director because of my friend Matt Vogel. When we directed that, like, I don't know if you remember this, Matt, but I found, when I was moving, I found a um, a journal from, like, 2002 or 2001 or something, or 2002 probably, because we had, and I had all this thing plotted out how you and I were going to be this directing team and go to Hollywood, and I really thought after we directed our movie. Yeah, and, and when Michael Lohman, who was the executive producer at the time, asked me to direct the first thing. I actually said no because I was like, I really want to direct with Matt. I want us to be a team when they sign up to the DGA. And I said no at first. And then later on, they came back to me and Carolyn asked again. And I was like, all right, maybe I'll try it. It was like 2006 by then. And the dream was dead. (laughs) (laughs) But I um, I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And uh, I was petrified the first time I did it. And then I started to realize, oh my God, especially if it's a show I wrote, because yep. I know the show I wrote, and I know how I saw it. It was so easy, like, just to go. Once I got the vocabulary of the cameras down and how to think about that in my head, mm-hmm. I was able to just go, oh, I can make this an action scene, and I could do this with a single camera. Because we do a lot of three cameras. Like, again, at the time, we did mostly three cameras. And then to go, okay, we'll do three cameras up to this page, but then stop. And then we're going to take the camera, and we're going to shoot this like a little movie scene and just do all these different setups. And then you could have action scenes because puppets tend to be just too talky if they're not doing action. Yeah. And then I started to really fall in love with directing. Yeah. And I loved it. It was especially, again, my, when I got to direct what I wrote. And, and how did you find directing puppeteers, being that you were one of them? Well, I, I mean, puppeteers are, are, are assholes. They're the worst. <laughs> they just don't listen. No, puppeteers are the greatest, Matthew, because puppeteers are directors anyway because they are constantly, even if they're just directing themselves, they see... It's the only sort of performance where you get to see in real time what your character is doing. So you have an objective eye as well as being the subjective eye. Mm-hmm. So um, you always have that objective eye. So they know what you're talking about most times when you tell them what you're looking for or what to, you know, what to do in the frame. They're very responsive to directing and, and to directors. How do you feel so, when, yeah. like a, when a puppeteer is like, um, Joey, can I get a close-up for that line instead of the... Two shot. Do you mind um, close up there? Yeah, I don't love that. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that, but I'll usually give it to them and then not use it. But um, I'm, the, I'm very big on I'm, I'm big on like two. Like I feel like comedy plays in the in the wider and the two. And yeah. I, you know, I like to do things in in long takes sometimes, especially with a moving camera and stuff. I'm yeah. not big on cutting. And then uh, you know, I never let them use zooms on no the zooms. Set. Yeah. No zooms. Turn on your zoom, Frankie. I really, I, I really, when I got into that and started getting into cameras and what you could do with cameras and lenses, I really started getting excited about directing. So much fun. When we were making that movie back in, like, I guess it was 2002. I was, yeah. My, you were amazed at me because you not only learned how to use the camera and figure out shots, but then you went and figured out how to edit because we didn't know how to edit really at the time. Right. You figured out how to edit the stuff and then you wrote the song for it. You were like a one yeah. man. Uh, Orson Welles, like a puppet Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't 
the sky's the limit because we had a certain amount of money that we could spend on it, but we made right, the right. most of what we had and tried to just do what we thought looked fun and what yeah, looked and cool. Good. Yeah, it, it was, was so great. Much fun. I loved it. Uh, Me too. You have also written back to writing other Muppet stuff, yeah, like Muppet films, like Muppets from Space. I you did. Some I of that. did. Jeez, Kermit that Swamp Years. Kermit Swamp did, Years. Did yeah, that? that was right during nine eleven. That was on. Yeah. I was going out for a meeting on nine on the morning of nine eleven for a meeting for Kermit Swamp Years. I was on like a I was on an eight a.m. flight and I switched to a seven a.m. flight, and I was going across country and we had to emergency land in Indianapolis and I was on like a twenty four hour drive home with a bunch of strangers to get back. It was yeah, that was amazing, crazy, scary time. But uh, yeah. yeah, writing Muppets movies was the best. I loved it. I loved it, and also it was it was like a great lesson, <laughs> a great it's a great lesson. So I I don't know you probably remember this because we had done the the Elmo movie Elmo yep. and Grouchland, which you which also I had wrote. gotten. I got a credit on, and I wrote the the final draft. You know, I got the green light, and I got the thing through production. Yeah, and that was super fun. And then I was like, I got to write a bunch of Muppet stuff, and I, I got I was writing the Muppet Haunted Hotel movie, mm. which got put on the back burner as we did Muppets from space as they, they had Muppets from space. And then I got called in to, to rewrite Muppets from space and I got the green light on it. And I'll never forget like that experience was a good lesson in Hollywood. Uh, Cause I got the green light and everything was great. And it was supposed to be Randall Kleiser was going to direct who directed Greece. And I was like, we went out and I met with Randall. I was like, this is going to be so much fun. And then all of a sudden I got a call from the Muppet executives that were like, we fired Randall. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, but we got the green light. Why? And then we, they hired a new guy. And then my script came, started coming back to me and it was different. It was being changed by the new director. And I was like, this isn't funny anymore. What is happening? And I remember seeing our friend Mandy Patinkin down at Doc's restaurant. He was, he's like, come on, Joey, because we had just done Elmo and Grouse. Like, Joey, yeah. come have lunch with me. And I go out with Mandy, and I'm, and I'm just in the middle of this. And I say, I don't know what to do, Mandy. Like, they're, I, I got this next movie coming, and they're changing the thing. I really don't know what to do. He goes, quit. You just quit. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, you'll get another movie. I was like, yeah, you know what, Mandy? I'm going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I quit and I quit and uh, you, you know when that next movie came when never <laughs> I never wrote another movie after that so kids here's my advice to you yeah never take advice from Mandy Patinkin <laughs> yeah don't take no. advice from Mandy no he's a, he's a great I love Mandy he's the <laughs> yeah, sweetest remember that stuff we did those concerts with him yeah. for, after 9-11 he's yeah. the best, he's he's a, best. And, he, and, and what did he call you whenever he saw you he well not whenever but it was one no. time it was one time he was you and I were, were we walking together no you told me about it it was just me yeah okay so I was walking on I don't know 89th and, and uh, West End and this car goes driving by and I look and there's Mandy and he sees me and we had worked on <laughs> Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland for, for many many weeks and he goes hey Puppet Dave and he drove off and I was like oh, Puppet Dave Puppet Dave. He thought I was David Rockman. He thought you were David, but I think Puppet Dave is the funny. The fact that you're Puppet Dave, not just Puppet Dave, not just Dave. Puppet Dave. Puppet Dave. My favorite name for you. Um, Yeah. So, uh, but I do love Mandy. He's the greatest. Yeah. Still take his. I'll still take his advice. That's right. Since uh, since leaving Sesame Street, you've you've been writing 
pretty much writing. nonstop, right? On a bunch of different things. Yeah. Well, I got to direct that Julie Andrews thing and write on that. Yeah, Julie's that, Green that Room. Di- Julie's Green Room for Netflix. That was a super uh, exciting and really stressful uh, show to work on just because it was a lot. Um, but then, yeah, then I got uh, then I got to do a grown-up show, which was the most intense, fun, heartbreaking, sad, exciting, amazing show ever. And that's, I'm guessing, kidding, kidding on kidding, Showtime. Kidding, with a, a Showtime Jim Carrey show. That was, uh, that was crazy how I got on that show. I just, uh, it was like the universe was, uh, just gave me that show. It was crazy. Because I had called up, actually, Michael Aguilar, who is a producer on a Sesame movie that I was working on. Mm-hmm. I think he's still the producer of the Sesame movie. Mm-hmm. And I was just calling him randomly because I knew him to do movies. And I was, but I was calling for advice on writing on how to work with a producer. And he was like, oh, I was just talking about you. And I was like, oh, what? He goes, well, the show that I'm producing just got picked up. It's, a, it's based on a kid show. And I told him there's this great writer. And, uh, and I talked. I said, he said, would you want to meet with them? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll meet with them. And he goes, great, I'm going to have them send you the pilot. And they sent me the pilot. And I met with uh, Dave Holstein, who created the show, and Roberto Benavid, which was, who was his number two. And we had this amazing conversation. And, and at the end of it, they, I remember I never, ever, I'm forward about this stuff, but I really want, I thought I could do really well on this show. I said, I don't know what you're looking for, a consultant or a writer. I said, but I'll be awesome in that room. And they said, we think that too. Can you come out to L.A.? And meanwhile, Carrie was in Washington, D.C. doing Mean Girls, and I'm supposed to be home with the girls taking yep. care of them. And I, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could be there. And I called Carrie. I'm like, I, I think I'm going to get on a TV show, but I don't know what to do. I said, say yes, we'll figure it out. And you did. I did. I did. It was really hard because I had to leave my family for like months at a time yeah, like I, I would come back the that. first year i only came back a couple of times but the second season i came back more because it was just i realized it was too hard to be away so other than being away from your family what is that transition of working on a show like sesame street for so long and then now you're working on somebody else's series and it's an it's an adult show it was definitely an adult show right. yeah it What's was super hard transition for me uh that first season i thought what am i doing here because it's about a guy who's going through the ultimate pain of losing a child and he's going through his marriage is falling apart. His mental health is going. And I just thought, geez, I, I don't know if I'm equipped for this show. And also I was like, even though I was head writer at Sesame and I had 20 years experience, I was low person on the totem pole on that show because I, I didn't have experience in primetime. So it was really, uh, it was hard at first. It was hard on my ego. It was hard on my emotions for, to deal with that. But as I started getting into it and started, we got to, I just thought they were going to bring me in just to create the show within the show and help them with that. But it wasn't that. It was like Dave wanted me as part of the team to figure out Jeff as well as the show within the show. So that first season was a growing experience. I got to learn from the other writers. I got to learn from Dave, who's amazing, and how he runs a room, and Roberto. And then uh, by season two, I just came in and I, and I was like, I know this show. I get it. And I uh, had the best. The second season two was just like, and to me, it's like, not because I had anything to do with it. It's just such a good season of television. It's so strong. It's so emotional. It's so surrealistic. It's, it's magical realism. It's everything. And I just, I loved that show. I was sad it didn't get a bigger critical reception because I think it's one of the, the, the best things. Not that I've written on. It's just a really great season of television. Yeah, a very unique show. Yeah. It is super unique. Yeah. And, and yeah, the emotional payoff on season two to me is just so good. If you haven't seen it, check out Kidding. It's uh, it's not because I wrote on it. It's an amazing it's show. It's a good show. And Jim uh, Carrey's amazing on it. 
Did you ever get to spend any time with him? I was in the writers' room. He, I didn't, I didn't go to uh, to to shoot. I left as soon as I could to get back home. But I, he did come in at the beginning, and he was just like super honest and amazing. And he was like, "I want you guys to bleed for this show." And he shared just amazing stories of his own uh, celebrity and his own struggles, and to help us to shade Jeff, his character. And I just thought he was super warm and kind and and uh and and yeah just shared a lot with us and it was very cool whether it's for sesame street or for kidding or for your own stuff what's the most important things that you're thinking of when you're writing when you're creating something whether it's somebody else's or your own stuff Uh, well a character to me is like the key to anything you know uh it's not it's not situation it's character and how they're going to react to it and and the the deeper or the more um focus the character is or when you're talking about Muppets to me it's like the obsessions of the characters are the things that get me and what they really want and what they're saying is sometimes two different things and that it gives it a it gives it a depth that other kids shows don't have I think uh, and then when you're doing when I'm working on other things I do think about character and what they want and how they react and how, how is the way they react uh, uh, different than any other character would react to make them sort of special and unique. So that's what I, I, I look for character and I try to create character or that's the thing that to me stands out most. Is that similar for you when you're creating a puppet character that you're, you're looking at like what makes this guy? Yeah, I, I try to do that whenever I'm creating any character, whether it's animation or puppet or anything. It's It's like what is the thing that drives this character every morning when he or she wakes up. Like, what is? What do they want? Um, and it, it could be more shaded if it's a, an adult thing or just super elemental, like a Muppet thing would be. But I'm always like, yeah, what is driving that character? And and how badly do they want it that they'll do anything to get it? Or you know? Okay, Joey. We had mentioned earlier. You'd mentioned something about your obsessions with things. Mm-hmm. When you get obsessed with yes. something, so you I go, do. you I go do. all in when it comes to something that you love. And, yes, I do. Uh, so I have some little remembrances of some things. <laughs> and, um, I remember back in the day that you wanted to learn how to play guitar. And yeah, so you got a guitar and then you played it until your fingers like actually bled. Not an exaggeration, yeah. not a Beatles. No, they did. Like, I, would, I, would, I would believe. You're, you bled for your guitar playing, right? Yeah, I did. I, I do think it's like, I mean, again, it's character, right? So I have obsessions, yeah. and, and when I'm in, I'm all in, and it becomes all-consuming. It's It literally is how I got to Sesame Street, because I had such a tunnel vision of, like, this is the thing I want most. So I just mm-hmm. spent every waking hour with this tunnel vision, and how do I get there? And if it means building puppets at night and obsessively doing puppets in front of my camera. I just get so excited by the thing and I want it so bad. And with, with guitar too, it was like, I remember John Kennedy taught me some chords and I was like, wow, I can, cause I, I played drums as you know. Yeah. And that, but you can never play a tune with that. And then when I learned, wow, <laughs> right. I could put these chords together and actually play a song. And I, and I just was like, I want to play every song. Yeah. So, and you I had just, like, did yeah, you have I a just, big book of songs, like of tabs? Did we have like, I did. Out? We had, I would just collect tabs and then learn them. And yeah. remember we'd play in the Muppet room and yeah, uh, or just in your living fun. room or my house? Ha- in my living room. Or yeah. I would bring it everywhere I went. At my, to my in-law's house, I would just have my guitar and my, my book of tabs and 
yeah. and learn and try to try to do, you, do that. Yes, and you were yes, you were the Mighty Weaklings. You were the uh, the original drummer, of the Mighty Weaklings. But, did, yes, but it you, was. You were a drummer before that. You had a drum set. At, at, I had a drum set in high school. Yeah, and uh, my friend Eric Barbella and I were Eric and the Rat in high school, and I was the Rat. <laughs> <laughs> the two of us. And we'd get together in my uh, basement. Were you a play. rat cover band? No, just Eric and the Rat. This is before Eric and the Rat even oh. existed. They were right at probably at the same time. But yeah. they were rat with two T's. Two T's. Uh, we were Eric and the Rat with just one T. I just assumed it was two T's. <laughs> I <just> assumed. <laughs> no, no, we weren't we were a rat cover band. I don't even remember what rat sang. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know, but I, I could come. Oh up with man, that. I really wished you knew that would be uh, very impressive. No, it's 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 coming to me. You're looking online. No, I'm not. Round and round. Will oh, the rat t- goes and round. Yeah, and didn't they do that one? Round and round. Now, now I think I'm going to check. Them. Yeah, now look I'm it up. Gonna check. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to verify. And while you do that, your, I was your saying, my knowledge. Do you, do you remember our first gig? <laughs> our very first gig. Kelly wanted to surprise me for my surprise birthday. Surprise birthday party at the uh, at the in at the, the parlor. Of the parlor. Yeah. On eighty eighty sixth and Broadway. 86th and and yeah. she's like, lunch, it'll be great. Party. It's going to be a surprise party slash first ever first live ever gig. <laughs> gig in front of people, which is a very cool idea, but I think very scary. And you uh, and the other guys were like, um, maybe maybe we shouldn't do that. Let's let Matt know, <laughs> let Matt know. right? Yes. This is going to happen. You don't want to. You don't want to just show up at your prize party. And by the way, you're entertaining us all. Go. <laughs> Let's give it a let's give it a rehearse. Yeah, but that was fun. That was good. It was, it was fun. To, fun. It was Danny. Danny was part of the band then, right? That's right, Danny Seckle. Danny Seckle. Yeah, and then we kind of got to play out a little bit in the in the in the, in the city of New York. Lunch tour, lunch tour two thousand, and yeah. then we, I had a hat that you made uh, for me. You a did. Weeklings Dumbo's hat. lunch. Yeah. Then we yeah. made that album. We made your album. That's right. Yeah. Medicine uh, Brain, right? Yeah, Medicine Brain. Yes. It's out on iTunes. Uh, <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Mighty uh, Weaklings, Medicine Brain. Anything from iTunes. anything oh, on Rat? Yeah. Did you get Rat? Did you look it up? Round and round. You are correct. <sighs> that is the number one choice. Good. God. And it was uh, it was uh, at the same time. It was 1984. Probably I, the same I time I was playing with Eric and the Rat. I, I wish I'd gone for something deeper. No, I'm pretty pretty impressed that you know Round and Round. <laughs> but that's the only song I know of theirs. That's it. Uh, that's enough. That's enough. I uh, did not remember any it, Rat song. Here's another remembrance, Joey. Go ahead, Matthew. Big bag. We shot Big, big bag. Oh my God! In You're Orlando. Out of. Right, we did. Uh, I was your right big hand bag. for Chelly. Chelly, like, see, I don't even remember Chelly's name, but yeah. the best part about Big Bag was you and I having the apartments next to each other yeah. and playing Resident Evil at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't scary. I have like a PlayStation? And we played? yes, and it was yeah, scary. It was scary. We, we were scared. scared. Maybe we should turn on the lights. <laughs> yeah, I'm a scared, Maddie. Yeah, it's too scary, and we would order food. And just and then Tuesday shopping days. Yep, Tuesday shopping days, which started and continued long after that. So we were, we would go and find what the new DVD. Well, was there DVDs? There was uh, uh, DVDs. Would be yeah, yeah, yeah. CDs for sure. We looked like for music. CDs and DVD re- releases were on Tuesday, and yeah. I didn't even know that until Maddie told me. Yeah, every Tuesday. Now it's Friday, but every, every Tuesday, Tuesday, that was the that was the shopping day. And uh, Tuesday shopping day, uh, we had those. We had asked for this was January. Right, January, February, <laughs> and we said, "Can we get convertibles?" So we got matching 
convertibles. I can't remember Sebrings. what kind of. Sebring. It was the Sebring. <laughs> yeah. We got Sebrings, which a few years later on the uh, office was the joke that he drove that terrible car. But we thought uh, we were so cool in our convertible matching Sebrings. Yeah, and we would ride to work <laughs> together with the top down. Top down. It was freezing. so cold. So I mean, cold. It was like 50 <laughs> degrees, but it was still very cold in Orlando in cold. January. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But you know, you got a convertible, you got to so use fun. it. It was nice of them that to get us. so fun. Yeah. Oh my God, I totally forgot that. Yeah, and we had our and parking Jeff, spot. You remember Jeff Conover, right? Do you yeah. know Jeff? Yeah, yeah. You know, Jeff's still there. Jeff, yeah. was, I, I was working with Jeff last year on something. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah, he is. He is. And, uh, and then we would sneak into the parks. We would. We would sneak in and go to the parks all the time. During lunch, we would like Great go in and fun. just ride a couple rides and then come back to work. It was like the yeah, most it was, it was still part of the tour then, right? Like people could yeah. uh, watch us, right? Yeah, they would come in and they were like up above on the second floor or third floor, whatever it was, and they would come and by. I remember I put poor Nina through, oh, I put poor Nina through hell with that show. <laughs> I was just like, this script, you got to change the script so bad. Please, uh, Nina. I won't do it. I won't say it. And Emily Squires directed a lot of those, didn't she? Emily and Teddy did. Ted, right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that was so much fun. Anyway, yeah. those are, those are remembrances I have, among with many, that is a many, good, many good, others. That's a good memory. Good memories in Orlando. Loved it. Good stuff. Yeah, it was so much fun. That was awesome fun. Okay, Joey, now I've got some rapid fire questions. I'm ready. Okay. Hit me. Right. As, go. Just okay. go. Okay, here we go. What's the hardest part about being a puppeteer? Uh, the shoulder. It hurts your shoulder sometimes when you have to hold it up there. You start shaking, and I've had I had like a torn rotator cuff, so sometimes it really hurts. Uh, what's the easiest part? The easiest part is being with your friends. What is your biggest strength? Do you think as a puppeteer slash performer? Um, uh, comedy voices, maybe silly, stupid voices. What's your biggest weakness? Uh, manipulation. I disagree. What was one of your favorite things? about being a Muppet performer slash writer? What's one of your favorite things? Uh, you know, the, the, I, I would have been, years ago, it would just be the fun of it, but after I wrote I Love My Hair, it became actually, oh, it was a realization. Oh, like this sometimes makes a difference, and it's, mm-hmm. it's meaningful. And I thought, oh, you can reach people, reaching kids and, and adults. If you weren't a puppeteer or a writer or a director... What would be your career? Don't say telephone repairman. Professional pinball player. Ooh, I like that. Can you make a living I'm, as a professional pinball player? Probably not. I'd probably have to take the phone job to support that <laughs> hobby, but I would be out there on, 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 on the circuit playing ah. my games. Okay, so last one. Jerry Nelson said to me once, Sesame Street's great, but always have something that is your own that you create. So mm-hmm. Joey Mazzarino... What is that for you? Bonus points if it's not about writing or performance. It's my kids. Like, it literally, because when Sesame Street went out of my life, like, you know this, like, Sesame Street is, it, you're the Sesame Street girl or guy, no matter where you go, and it just becomes so part of your identity. Mm. That when I lost that, I really did think, oh, my God, I'm, who am I? And if it wasn't for the grounding of I'm Segi and Sumi's dad, I'd be lost. So being Feggy and Sumi's dad is the thing that I have for me and that nobody could take away from me. Joey, uh, I, I love you. I, <laughs> I, I love do. you. I love you. I miss seeing your face every day. 
I miss seeing your face every day. Uh, I miss laughing. We used to be able to, we lived so close, we could like uh, hang out our windows and, and yeah. we would have, it was like Stranger Things, we would have walkie talkies and that. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> let's go. Let's, let's another, go another memory is year 2000, I think it was. Kelly and I both had LASIK surgery. I remember that. Right. Yeah. And, and after I had my surgery, you go home and you take a little nap for a while and then you wake up and wow, the world is crystal clear and you can see everything. And literally, Joey and his wife, Carrie, lived a, a block away. And mm-hmm. we somehow got in touch with you. The other, I guess, did we have cell phones then? I don't know. Year 2000? I don't know how. I think we probably did. Yeah, I probably had a flip phone, a StarTac. Yeah, so we got in touch and we said, go to your window. We looked out. I looked up where Joey was, at his, and he was out at his uh, on his balcony waving to me, and I could see him. He was crystal clear. <laughs> crystal clear. And I was a block away. He was just right there. Well, but see, before then... I wouldn't have been able you to see you. It would be very fuzzy and blurry. Yeah. And I remember when I saw you, I was like, where's my friend Matt? I don't know you. <laughs> Put on your glasses. You're not my friend. Yeah. I was no glasses friend, Matt for a glasses? while. <laughs> you were. And now I'm back to glasses Matt. Glasses Matt. I see. I, I recognized you right away. <laughs> well, uh, hey, you know what? I Let's do this more often, but maybe without the microphones. Yes, I, lo- I love it. I love catching up with <laughs> unless you, you. Unless you want to just record our conversation. No, from, we'll just record from our here on out. Just for posterity. Yeah, so we should do that. The world has it, and then we'll send it to the Smithsonian. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking with me, Joey. I appreciate it. Hey, Maddie, I love you. Have a great rest of your day. Well, that's it. That is Below the Frame for this week. We're going to be back next time with a brand new episode where we will be speaking with Kirk Thatcher. You can get updates and stuff about Below the Frame and Muppets and Sesame Street and pretty much anything I feel like posting on my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok accounts at WelcomeMattV or just search my name. Below the Frame is produced by me, Matt Vogel. And if you like the show, please rate it and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help us out. I don't know why, but it apparently does. Thank you very much. The theme song for Below the Frame was written by Stephanie DeBruzzo and performed by my band, The Mighty Weaklings. Our podcast logo was created by Dave Holtine at DaveHoltineDesign.com. The award from our sponsor player for Tall Shoes was Stephanie DeBruzzo, who also wrote that bit based on Steve Martin's Cool Shoes. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks to Joey Mazzarino, Carmen Osbar, John Kennedy, and my son Jack for being a part of today's show. And thanks to you, the fans, for listening. I'm Matt Vogel. We'll see you next time when we go Below the Frame. Bye-bye. Go, go, go.